You are listening to the First Baptist Church Martin podcast. For more information on our church, visit fbcmartin.org. Good morning, church. It's been a good morning already. Amen. Got to observe baptism, lift up the Lord in singing. Now we get to open His Word together and uh, listen as He speaks to us. If you got your Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians, find chapter 2 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We are in a series working our way through this New Testament letter. Uh, we just finished last time we were together, and I was here. We finished chapter 1, and this morning we're going to begin working our way into chapter 2. We're going to look at the first five verses of chapter 2 this morning. 1 Corinthians, second chapter, we're going to start with verse 1. I know you just sat down, but you can't be comfortable yet, so let me ask you to stand, if you would, in honor of our Lord and the reading of His Word to us today. Paul is writing, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, which means these are not the words of Paul, this is the word of the Lord spoken through Paul. He says, Now, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. It is true. It is alive. We pray that you would make your word come alive in us this morning. Give us the ears we need to hear what it is that you're saying to us today. Hearts that are open and ready to receive it. And God, I pray, do a work in this place today. Do a work in each of our lives today to reveal yourself to us, your will to us, and to draw us all together this morning closer to Jesus. May he be exalted in this place, lifted up, and may all of us together be drawn closer to him, we pray. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. You may be seated. So in the opening verses of chapter 2, what Paul is doing is he's reaching back and he is connecting what he's about to say at the beginning of chapter 2 to something that he started in chapter 1, verse 17. In chapter 1, verse 17, Paul reminds the Corinthians that when he came there to their city, he came there to preach to them the gospel. That's the why. That's why Paul came to Corinth. Now, you get to chapter 2, these verses that we just read, Paul now begins to explain the how. How did he present the gospel to them? What was his approach in sharing the gospel? And we're going to get to that in just a few moments. But I want to stop for uh, a, a bit, and I want us to think again about this why. You say, no, Pastor, you've already told us why. He went there to preach the gospel. But my question is, what is the why behind the Why? What is it that drove Paul, that motivated Paul to come to this city 
with the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, what you've got to keep in mind is where Paul had been previously and what had happened to this man during his missionary travels. He had been beaten and imprisoned while he was in Philippi. He was then run out of Thessalonica and Berea because of the opposition that had mounted up against him and his ministry. And then when he came to Athens, they just laughed at him. They mocked him, and they ridiculed him, and they rejected him, and they rejected his message. And after all of that, Paul still winds up in Corinth, determined that he is going to preach the gospel to the people in that city. Now, I don't know about you, but if I put myself in Paul's shoes back then, after all that had happened to me, I just tend to believe that there might be a part of me that would have said, you know what, I'm done. I've tried to be nice to you people. I've tried to help you out. I've tried to come share with you something that will change your life, but obviously you don't want anything to do with this. I have been beaten. I've been thrown in jail. I've been chased out of town. I've been laughed at and mocked. So I'm done. I'm going home. But he doesn't do that. Instead, after all that had happened to him, Paul still goes to Corinth determined on a mission to preach the gospel to the people in that city. And that begs the question, why? Why is this man so driven to share the gospel? Why is he so motivated to tell others about Jesus, even though in many places, by many people, he is rejected and he is pushed away? And I think it's important for us to talk about the why before we ever get to the how. Because until you understand the why of sharing the gospel, the how isn't going to matter much to you. There's no need for us to talk about how to share Jesus if you're not compelled and motivated to share Jesus. And obviously Paul was. So what was the why? As you think about his motivation to share the gospel, there's several things that come to mind for me. Now, I want to tell you that this is not a complete list, and there are other things that we could add to the list, but here are some things that just jump out at me when I think about Paul and his drive and his motivation to tell other people about Jesus. I think the first thing that stands out and is clear in Scripture is that Paul had a calling from God on his life. He was called to this. God had not only saved him, from his sin, but now God had called him to go into the world and tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul had a message that he was meant to share. He had been commissioned by God for this. Paul knew that telling others about Jesus was not something optional for him. It was something that he was commanded to do. It was his assignment, his responsibility that had been given to him by God. And he knew that as one who now follows Christ, his responsibility in this world was now to tell others about Christ. He had this calling on his life. And as you read the New Testament and the letters of Paul, this calling becomes apparent. He tells the Galatians in chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, that God had not only saved him, but now God had called him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, the very letter that we're in, and we'll get to this eventually, but in verse 16 of chapter 9, Paul says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Don't come pat me on the back or praise me for preaching the gospel, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. 
Paul was saying, I have a responsibility to do this. Don't, don't, don't look at me and say, hey, what a great guy, this Paul, going around telling other people about Jesus. God has called me to this. I am accountable to God for what I do with the message of the gospel. I have to preach this message to others in the world. He tells the Romans, chapter 1, in verse 14 and 15, he says, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. That means to all people. I have a responsibility and obligation to everyone to preach the gospel. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to come and preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He He says, I've got this obligation, this responsibility that's been laid upon me. I have to do this. Paul says this over and over and over again in his letters. It's clear that this is a man who had a calling from God on his life. And there would be some who would sit in this room this morning and they would say, well, yeah, that's Paul, but that's not me. God may have called Paul to do that, but God hasn't called me to do that. And I I want you to know this morning that you cannot say that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Because this mandate, this calling is upon all of us. Let me give you some examples. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to his disciples, For you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You in the plural. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I've actually had people look at me and have said to me, Well, yeah, but Jesus was talking to the disciples there on the Mount of Olives before he ascended back to heaven. He was talking to them, and that was their mission, and that was their assignment, but that does not belong to all of us. That's not a universal calling from God upon every believer to go and to share the gospel. And I want you to know that if you believe that, that's not true at all. If you go and you look at uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. And what we know is the Great Commission. Jesus said to his disciples there, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What that means is I am the one who's in charge. I'm the one who calls the shots. I am the Lord over your life. He's the Lord over the church. He's the one that tells us what we're supposed to do. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, so you go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now I want you to think about that. He just looked at these disciples and he said, okay, go. Go into all of the world and you make disciples. And that begins with sharing the good news. You go and share the good news. The message of the gospel. And I'm going to work through that to draw people to myself. And through that message, people will be saved. And when they come to faith in me, you then baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And after you've baptized them, you then begin teaching them to do the very things I've taught you to do. To observe the things that I have taught you. To obey the commandments that I have given to you. What? would be included in those commandments to go and make disciples. You go make disciples, and then you teach others to make disciples, and then they teach others to make disciples, and this is how that, this thing works. And so this calling to make disciples, this calling to share the gospel, is something that is upon all of us. When Jesus called his disciples to himself, he said, you follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
And I'll tell you this morning that you can't honestly say that you're following Jesus if you are not in the fishing business. If you're not sharing the gospel, if you're not looking for opportunities, opportunities to tell others about Christ, you can't honestly say that you are faithfully following the Lord because to follow Him means to be on this mission of making disciples and sharing the gospel with others. It is a responsibility and a calling that has been given to all of us, and Paul certainly understood that. Here's the second thing. Paul was also motivated to share the gospel because of his own personal experience with the risen Christ and with the power of the gospel in his own life. You read the New Testament, the book of Acts, which uh, tells the ministry of Paul. And then his letters in the New Testament, many of them which he had written and included in those letters his own story, his own testimony of what Jesus Christ had done in his life. Over and over again, Paul is telling people the story of what had happened to him, what Jesus Christ had done in his life. He talked about what his life was before he met Christ. He talked about where and how he met Christ on the Damascus Road, and then he would talk about how his life was different since Jesus had saved him. And he kept telling that story over and over and over again. As he's sharing the message of the gospel, he's telling people, I know this is true because look what happened to me. Let me tell you what happened in my own life. And so he would just tell the story of what Jesus had done in his life. And Paul never got over that. In fact, he was continually amazed, even more amazed the longer that he walked with Jesus of just what Jesus Christ had done in his life. In fact, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is where he writes to this young pastor named Timothy. And in chapter 1, verse 12, this is what he says to Timothy. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. I'm so thankful that God has called me to this. That God has given me the opportunity to, to, to share the good news of what he's done in my life. Because even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent man, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. But the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And I'm the chief. I'm the worst of them. But for this reason I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. This is what Paul is saying. Listen, I for the life of me can't understand why God would save somebody like me. I mean, I was the worst of the worst. I was the chief of sinners. And yet God saved me. He rescued me out of my sin. And he says, the only thing that makes sense to me is that God would shower me with his grace and rescue me from my sin. And he would save me as an example to everyone in the world of what his grace can do. Because if God can save me, God can save anybody. Even these people down in this wicked, immoral city called Corinth. Paul believed in the power of the gospel because he had experienced the power of the gospel in his own life. And in fact, the last thing that he said to Timothy in that, in that passage that I read just a moment ago is this. He says, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone who is wise, be honor and glory forever 
and ever. Paul did not look upon sharing the gospel as a burden. He looked upon it as the greatest honor and privilege that he could be given to tell someone else what God had done in his life, what Jesus Christ had done in him. And every time he told the story of what Jesus Christ did in his life, it was never about Paul. And look what Paul has become. And look what Paul did. It was always about Jesus. And it was always about what Jesus did. And so every time he told the story of God's grace in his life, all he was doing was giving praise and honor and glory to Jesus. And it makes sense, doesn't it? That people who've experienced grace, people who've experienced the life-transforming power of the cross in their own life would be motivated and inspired to go and share that message with someone else. I'll tell you, there's something wrong if we're not inspired to do that. I mean, can you honestly say that you've experienced the grace of God in your life if you have no desire whatsoever to share the good news of Christ and what His grace has done in your own life? Charles Spurgeon once said that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You're either telling people about Jesus because you know him, or you're not telling people about Jesus because you don't know him. Which one would be you? Paul was motivated because of what the grace of God had done in his life. I'll tell you the third reason why Paul was motivated to share the gospel is because he believed in hell. And he believed in the judgment that is to come. And he believed that the only way people could be saved was through Jesus Christ and the message of the cross. He was burdened for people. He was burdened for the people in Corinth, just like he was burdened for the people in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens. And even though people mocked him and rejected him and ran him out of town, it didn't change the fact that Paul had a heavy heart for these people because he knew that these were people who were lost in this world without hope because they were without God. He knew they were broken by sin, wandering aimlessly through this life, not understanding why they were here or what life is all about or who had created them and what they existed for. They were people who were living one heartbeat away from an eternity without God. And Paul knew that the only one who could save them from such a futile life, an aimless life, and such a horrible death would be Jesus Christ. Paul was not a universalist. Paul did not believe that it's all going to work out for everybody in the end. Paul did not believe that there are a lot of ways to get to God. You just pick the one that you want and be sincere in your beliefs and you'll end up at the right place. Paul believed that there was only one way to God and that is through Jesus Christ. There's only one way to be saved and that is through the cross. And that's why he preached the cross. And that's why he felt compelled to share the gospel with everyone that he could because he knew that people in this world were perishing in their sin, dying without Jesus Christ, and the only thing that could save them was the gospel. Maybe what we need in the church today is not only a greater belief in heaven, but a, a greater belief in hell as well. Because we all know people who are going there without Jesus. Doesn't that matter? And don't we care? Paul did. That's why he preached the gospel. The fourth thing that drove Paul, I believe, and this might surprise you somewhat, but hopefully this will make sense, is Paul was driven by his confidence 
in the sovereignty of God. Paul believed in the sovereignty of God in all things, including salvation. And he believed that God in this world had appointed and chosen for himself those that he would save. And that salvation would come to them through the preaching and the sharing of the gospel. Now, anytime you mention the sovereignty of God and salvation in the same sentence, in a lot of our churches, people go on high alert. And they get really, really nervous. But you shouldn't be nervous at all because this is clearly a biblical doctrine here. That God is sovereign over all things. And God is either sovereign or he's not sovereign. And I believe that God's sovereign, which means he's sovereign over everything, including salvation. Now, the sovereignty of God over salvation does not mean, first of all, that man does not have responsibility for the choice that he makes concerning Jesus Christ. The Bible is clear that every man, every woman has to choose this day whom they will serve. You're going to be accountable and responsible for what you did with Jesus. If you go to hell, it will be because you rejected him and you refused the message of the cross. The Bible is clear about that. Man bears the weight of the responsibility in what he will do with Jesus Christ. Also, the sovereignty of God and salvation does not negate or take away from believers' responsibility to share the gospel. You can't say, well, God is sovereign over everything, and God's going to save who he will, and so it really doesn't matter what I do with the gospel, because the Bible doesn't teach that at all. The Bible says that we have a mandate, a responsibility to go and preach the gospel, because it's through the gospel that God has chosen to save. However, Our belief in the sovereignty of God in salvation, the sovereign grace of God at work through the message of the cross, listen, it should should stoke the flames of evangelistic zeal because we know for certain that we live in a world where God is at work and where God is saving because he is appointed and chosen to do so. J.I. Packer, in his marvelous book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, explains it this way. He says, were it not for the sovereign grace of God, evangelism would be the most futile and useless enterprise the world has ever seen. And there would be no more complete waste of time under the sun than to preach the Christian gospel. Why is this? Because of man's inability to respond to God and the gospel apart from sovereign grace. Because what we need to understand is that man is completely lost. He is blind and he cannot on his own see the truth. He is in chains, in shackles from which he cannot on his own break free. He is spiritually dead and does not have the power within himself to respond to the Christian gospel. It is only by God's sovereign grace that a person is made to see that the chains are broken and a person is made alive through the message of the cross. Now here's what we need to understand. The Bible nowhere tells us that all people in the world are going to be saved. In fact, it tells us quite the opposite. But what it does promise is this. As we preach and share the gospel, there are those in the world that will be saved because God has purposed it. He has ordained it. He has chosen those in the world that he will save. And so that gives us confidence in sharing the gospel. Paul didn't know who in Corinth was going to be saved. He just believed there's got to be somebody there. There's got to be somebody there that when they hear this message, it is going to ring in their hearts and the Holy Spirit's going to draw them to Christ and they're going to believe and they are going to be saved. In fact, Paul 
knew that to be the case because he was still here. The Bible tells us that God's not slack concerning his promise of bringing judgment on this world. The only reason why Jesus Christ hasn't come yet is because it's his desire that none would perish but all come to repentance, which means that when you and I wake up each day and God gives us a brand new day in front of us, it means that we are here for a reason. And there are people in this world that God wants to save. And the way he saves is through the preaching and the sharing of the cross and the weight of that responsibility is on us to take the good news into the world. Our job, listen to me, our job is not to figure out all the mysteries of God's sovereign grace or to even be able to explain it. Our job is to simply preach the gospel of Christ and trust that God works through the gospel to draw people to himself and that God will save. Paul believed that. And that's why he preached the gospel. So this is the why. This is the why behind the why. Why would this man, after all that had happened to him, why would he go to Corinth and preach the gospel? Because he had a calling from God on his life. Because he had a, he had a story to tell of what God had done in his own life. And even though he knew those people were, were, were engulfed in spiritual darkness there in Corinth, he remembered that he was once there too. But by the grace of God, he was saved. And if God could save him, God could save anybody. So I don't need to pick and choose who I share the gospel to. I don't need to look at anybody and say, well, there's no way he'll believe. Because if Paul will believe, anybody can believe. If God is drawing them to himself. And so Paul went and he shared the gospel with the people in the city. Now, how did he do that? How did he share the gospel? Look at it. Now we're in chapter 2. All of that was introduction. Can I get an amen? Now we're ready to preach. All right, here we go. This part, this part will be shorter than the first. All right, so just be at ease. But it's going it's to make sense. So look at what he says. He says, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. In other words, Paul said, I didn't come into your city trying to win you over myself or wow you with my charisma or my great personality or my spiritual giftedness. I didn't come to you with these big words and, 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 and lofty knowledge, hoping that I would wow you and win you over to Jesus. He said, when I came to you, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. All I did is come and share the, the, the message of the cross. All I did is come and tell you what, what Jesus Christ has done for us, for us all. I, I came to tell you the story of what Jesus had done in my own life. What I know to be true. He said, I, I just came and delivered to you what I know to be true. The testimony of what God has done in my own life. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And when I was there, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, let's stop right there, verse 3. There's a lot of speculation as to why Paul felt this weakness and what caused him to tremble when he came into Corinth. Some people believe that his weakness had to do with some kind of um, physical disability or some kind of physical impairment, that he was trembling. He was fearful because of everything that had happened to him up until this point. I don't believe any of that to be true. Here's what I believe. 
I believe his weakness here, he says, I came to you in weakness. I believe his weakness here was his own understanding and his own admission of his own insufficiencies. And he's trembling here because he knows the weight of the responsibility that God has given him in sharing the gospel. These people, their lives, their, their eternity is hanging in the balance here. The only way they can be saved is if God saves them. And Paul knows, I can't save them. I don't have the power to save them. I don't know enough, I can't do enough to save these people from their sins. And so what his weakness and his trembling did is it drove him to total dependence on God. Paul says, God, I can't. I can't save these people, but you can save these people. All I can do is tell them about Jesus. All I can do is preach the message of the cross. And God, I'm going to have to trust you to take the message of the cross and do in their life what you will. And so he says, I came to you and I was in weakness and fear and trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but they were in demonstration of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and of power. In other words, Paul was completely relying upon God. If, if they were going to come to faith in Christ, it wasn't going to be because Paul picked and chose the right words to say. It would be because the Holy Spirit of God took the words he placed in Paul's mouth and gave life to them as they went into the hearts of these Corinthians. If their life was going to be saved, if they were going to be changed, it would be not because of Paul's power, but because of the power of God at work through the gospel. And so he says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men. Well, put your faith in me. I can't save you. I came and just preached the simple message of the cross, trusting God to use the cross to do what he will in your life so that your faith would be in God, in Christ, because he's the one that saves. Can I get a hallelujah? Let me tell you, listen, 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 let that sink in for you, in for you for just a few moments because this is, this is the most liberating thing ever when it comes to sharing the gospel because you've got to understand, listen, you sharing the message of Christ and people responding, that ain't on you. You don't save anybody. You can't save anybody. And if you do save somebody, God help them. Amen? Jesus is the one who saves. It's the cross that changes lives. The message of the cross. All you do is just tell the story of what Jesus has done in you. All you do is simply tell the message of the gospel. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. He died for sinners. He took our sin on himself. He suffered the punishment we deserve. God crucified him on the cross for us. And then he was buried, and then he rose again the third day so that through him we could be forgiven, reconciled to God, and have the hope and the promise of eternal life. And salvation comes through none other but Jesus Christ alone. That's the gospel. I'll tell you something. 
When you put your trust and your confidence completely in the gospel and in Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God, it doesn't matter how you fumble through a testimony or how you stumble through a gospel presentation because it's not you or your words that's going to win them anyway. It's the Holy Spirit of God that takes weak, feeble people like us and uses us to draw others to Jesus. And that's how the gospel message is supposed to be spread throughout the world. When you, read, when you read the New Testament, here's what you will find. You will find very few examples of mass evangelism, like a preacher standing up and preaching a crusade and thousands of people coming to faith in Christ. Now, there is an example. There's an example in the book of Acts early on. Peter stands up the day of Pentecost. Spirit of God comes upon him. He stands up. He tells the people in that city about Christ and what Christ had done for them, that he is the Son of God who was crucified. He's been raised from the dead. He gave an invitation at the end, and thousands came to faith in Christ. And glory, hallelujah, it happened. When you watch the spread of the gospel throughout the first century world, that's not how the gospel spread. You know how the gospel spread? It spread through ordinary people going out and telling other people about what Jesus Christ had done in their life. Sharing the message of the cross, the hope of the gospel. And from one to another, the gospel spread until it spread across the first century world. That's the way this thing's meant to work, folks. Chuck Kelly was the president of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary for many years. He has since retired. But he told this story, and I heard it years ago from him. When he was a young preacher boy, this is just a preacher thing. Some people don't, won't get this or understand. But, but when he was a young preacher, he wanted to go and sit under the preaching of one of his heroes in the faith. And at that time, for him, that person would have been Dr. W.A. Criswell, who was the pastor of the historic First Baptist Church, Dallas, Texas, right downtown Dallas. I've been, I've been in that historic sanctuary. W.A. Criswell wasn't the pastor there when I went there, but I wanted to go because there's just so much history and tradition behind that church. And so my family, one summer we went and we worshiped there. But, but W.A. Criswell was still preaching at this time. Chuck Kelly, again, just a young preacher boy. He just wanted to go and hear his hero of the faith stand in the pulpit, open the Word of God, and break the bread of life. And so he had planned his trip. He'd gone. He got there Sunday morning. House is packed. Wonderful worship. Just great atmosphere within the church. And then it came time for Dr. Criswell to come forward and preach. And so Dr. Criswell came forward. He opened his Bible. He read a scripture. And then he put his Bible to the side. He took this folder and he opened it up, pulled out the church budget, and he went line by line through the church budget that morning, talking about what, what God was going to do through the life and ministry of First Baptist Church Dallas this coming year as God's people gave. So line by line through the, the church budget. Chuck Kelly said, I was furious. He said, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I, I've, I've waited so long to come and hear this man in person. He gets up. He pulls out a church budget. He reads through the church budget. He says, he says, the more that he read, the madder I got. Like I'm in the flesh. I'm just sitting there in the flesh, just stewing over what's happening in front of me. And then 
after he had gone through the entire church budget, he took, he took the budget, put it back in his folder, and he said, now we're going to give an invitation. And Chuck Kelly said, I'm thinking to myself, you've got to be kidding me. An invitation? Nobody's going to get saved after hearing about the church budget. But sure enough, he gave an invitation. He said, this morning, there are people God is drawing to himself. People who are going to come, and they are going to make public professions of faith in Jesus Christ. And right now, they're coming. And so he prayed, and they they started coming. The, the, The choir got up, and they started singing. And people started flooding the aisles, and they came forward. And Chuck Kelly said, I sat there, and I was amazed. And I thought, what in the world is happening in front of me? And then at the end of the service, Dr. Criswell came down, and he walked up to the first individual, and he said, okay, this is... This is, this is Bill. Bill here is, this morning, is here this morning because he has trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he wants to publicly confess Christ before you today as the Savior and Lord of his life. And he wants to take that next step with Jesus and follow him in believer's baptism. Isn't that great that Bill has come this morning giving his life to Jesus? But, but here with Bill is Tom. Now, Tom is a member here at First Baptist. Tom works with Bill. For the last few months, Tom's been telling Bill about Jesus. He's been telling Bill about what Jesus has done in his life. He's been sharing the message of the gospel. And as a result of that, this man has come to faith in Christ. Hey, here's Janice. Janice is here this morning. She's making a public profession of of, of faith in Jesus Christ as her Savior. And here with her this morning is this couple. They live in the same neighborhood with Janice. They've been building relationship over the last several months, getting to know each other. And they've invited her to church. Janice has been coming to church with them. But they've been having conversations outside of church about Jesus. And and, and, And through those conversations, Janice has come to faith in Christ. And this morning she comes to share with you that she has given her life to Jesus. And he said one after another after another after another down the line. It was story after story after story of changed life, not through the preaching of W.A. Criswell, but through the simple sharing of the cross through ordinary people who were a part of that congregation out in the world, seeing it as their mission field, building relationships with others and telling others what Jesus had done in them. That's the way it's supposed to work, folks. If we want to impact the city of Martin and West Tennessee for the glory of God and with the message of the gospel, it's got to go way beyond what happens in this room on a Sunday morning. It will only happen when the people who say they know Jesus in this room understand the calling and the mandate that God has placed on your life to be an ambassador for Jesus and a witness of Christ in this world and you go out into this world with a burden on your heart for people who are lost and you just tell them the story of what Jesus has done in your life trusting in God's Holy Spirit and in the power of the gospel to do the rest in the lives of those who hear and you will be amazed at the power of God at work through the gospel I'm not telling you everybody you talk to will be saved, but I'm telling you the fact that we're still here this morning means that God's still saving. And I believe that there's still people in this town, in this city, that he is calling to himself. But he's calling through us. So let's go share the gospel with our world. 
If you were encouraged by today's sermon, leave us a rating and subscribe to the podcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church Martin, visit fpcmartin.org.